This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Kellyanne Taylor. In this series, I sit down on the Radio Times sofa with a different celebrity guest every week to talk all things telly. What do they watch? Where do they watch it? And who do they watch with? Each week, we glimpse into my guest's life as seen through the prism of TV and from the vantage point of their sofas. We also delve into their own glittering careers on screen. This week's guest is the actor Freema Adjiman, who in 2007 became famous overnight as David Tennant's companion Martha in Doctor Who. Since then, she has starred in American medical drama New Amsterdam and most recently alongside Lily Allen in Dreamland, a sky comedy series about four sisters. In this episode, we discuss how Doctor Who has been at the forefront in shaping British television and what Freema has learnt about fame. Freema, welcome to the Radio Times podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Okay, let's kick off with what is the view from your sofa? Well, (laughs) I've just come back from living in New York for the last four years, so my sofa is still in storage. And I'm currently moving around at the moment from so many places, what with work commitments and life commitments and life enjoyments and bouncing everywhere that, um, that yeah, the sofa is still sat there. But I will be able to tell you that once I've, all the dust has settled, I'll probably be um, mimicking the same setup I had uh, in New York, which was uh, the view whenever I would watch anything was actually um, me on a little treadmill (laughs) I bought one of those like very inexpensive fold down little treadmills that you can slide under a bed and I put that up and I got a goose arm do you know those goose arms that hold your phone they're brilliant and um up it goes on the rail and I have my phone in front of my face and I walk for an hour and a half while I watch my stories (laughs) oh my gosh that is the most productive tv watching (laughs) I have ever heard and that makes me both incredibly happy for you, but also makes me think, okay, maybe I need to reassess my values. Maybe I really need to reassess my habits. What, when you're watching TV, do you enjoy watching? Well, I don't tend to watch things when everybody else is watching them, if that makes sense. Like when something big drops, I don't know why I do it all the time. I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll, get, I'll, do, I'll do it later. I'll get around to it later. I don't, I don't do it now. I'm going to go and skip in a field somewhere. And I dance <laughs> the, the beat of my own drum. I'm not going to watch it because you're all telling me to. And then um, invariably, I'll watch what everyone's talking about and I'll sit there and go, oh, yeah. yeah. That's exactly why everyone's talking about it. It's brilliant. Um, I did that with Squid Games. Um, and um, so I'm actually watching... Black Mirror at the moment. That is a really good series. It's amazing. I'm standing there going, standing on my treadmill, walking <laughs> on my treadmill, going, making all these noises, going, this is brilliant. Does everybody know how brilliant this is? <laughs> 
just a few years later. But you know, <laughs> but you know what? That's actually so good. I've done that recently where I'm the same as you. I'm the kind of TV watcher. If I haven't watched it for work, then I will generally come onto it later. And I'm really good at avoiding spoilers because I avoid as much social media as possible. But then when you are watching it at the same time as everyone else, so I'm watching The Last of Us at the moment, which is that program with Pedro Pascal, which if you haven't seen heartily recommend okay. but I'm having to avoid you know like if I come on to have a look at your Instagram I have to be so careful that I'm not going to see anything to give away the show because that's how committed I am whereas if you're watching right. it years later you don't need to worry no that's right you're you're in the clear I'm in the clear and I wonder if I partly do that because maybe now I the pattern has formed so much that I know people are generally talking about something because it's good, I maybe think, oh, I'm going to sow that seed way into the future so I've got something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, so when everyone else is having a dry spout, you're like, well, yeah. actually. <laughs> actually, have you seen Black Mirror? Have you seen Seven? <laughs> um, is there anything that you're like, mm, if it comes on, this is not for me? I would say loathe, but I feel like that's a very strong word. It's just more of a TV turnoffs. Do you know what, Kel? This is the uh, another thing, another thing I will tell you. So when I had my setup in my apartment, I did not have the television in the social space because, oh. yeah, no, it's not, I don't have it as a member of the, uh, <laughs> the family or the friendship circle that has to be there all the time. So I had a little den, because that's very American, isn't it? I had a little <laughs> den where the telly was. And so it was nowhere near the social spaces. And you, it was so interesting to me that some people would come in and not even notice. And other people would come in and be like, you know, third question in, don't you have a TV? <laughs> and I'd be like, well, do you need it on? So all that to say, I don't have a telly just on in the background yeah. for something to come on for me to have a turn for it to turn me off. I don't. You have to, you've, you're actively looking. I'm actively going to get me a cup of tea, sit down, turn it on and look for what I specifically want. I'm not, yeah. otherwise it just isn't, it isn't necessarily rumbling on all day, every day. I love that. When you do watch Shelley, what is your snack and drink of choice? Well, I did just say cup of tea, but yeah. that's me being very good. And also <laughs> depending on the time of day, but it's always probably going to be a, an adult beverage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Cause I, I like, I like a treat. And, um, and I, I eat, um, I, I was paleo for years and years. So and for anybody, I'm sure everybody knows what that is now. Um, but yeah, I kind of don't eat anything that you, you can't just get in its whole form from the earth, right? So I, I, I wouldn't necessarily sit there with popcorn. I'll tell you something, right? I, I like a bit of 100% dark chocolate. Mm -hmm. Very with nice. Manuka, manuka honey slathered on it and walnuts. And if I tell you that tastes like heaven. That's a really bougie snack. And that sounds really <laughs> delicious. And I love that for you. Manuka <laughs> honey. Gal, live your bestest life. Mate, I've got to do it. <laughs> okay, I want to throw it back. Let's go back to childhood and tell me what's your first ever TV memory? And it doesn't have to be, I don't mean that in terms of the first memory you ever have of watching TV, but the thing that kind of sticks out to you from your childhood. Uh, it's going to be Care Bears. <laughs> or My Little Pony. Or The Smurfs. The Smurfs. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Did you watch a lot of TV no. as a kid? It was very uh, book book driven. Um, mm. bed, bed at seven o'clock. I remember, I mean, yeah, we were still kids, but we, yeah, uh, it was go, you know, you go to your bed, you wind down, listen to Storyteller. Do you ever remember that Storyteller? Put that on on the cassette tapes, hear the stories, read a little chapter. We could still hear some of the kids outside playing, and we were like, but the sun's still up. <laughs> but we're in bed, seven o'clock into bed. But we were allowed, yeah, we, we would watch. It was never. This is probably why I'm like the way I am now when it comes to television. It wasn't like um, something that was sort of necessarily hugely prevalent. Um, but, uh, yeah, th- I remember those th- Thundercats. I remember Transformers. And then, of course, there'd be the things my parents were watching, like the news or Police 5 or something that was on. <laughs> that I'd catch a bit of. <laughs> yeah, be like, what's going on? What's I'm- that? The news was terrifying to me as a kid I was just like that the sound the like news um theme song would be like I'm gonna get out of here foreboding yeah sort of I'm a very sensitive soul so you know news rounders for me I want to talk when did you um decide or get the idea that you wanted to be an actor not till really late because that wasn't anything that was um like I say, it wasn't really on my radar. And academia was always a, a big area in my household. So I was very, very academic at school. Um, and I I took it really seriously, I think. I enjoyed it massively, but I was really aware as well um, of the opportunities that were being presented and not wanting to squander them. Um, and, and kind of, oh, you know, that's through my parents' discussions with my you know my family and my parents and just being aware of the fact that these opportunities like to learn a musical instrument a foreign language um learn all these subjects for free and that can help give you tools for your future and help guide and and structure and shape your future is not to be sniffed at really so yeah uh, yeah I was really into it man and I I loved all of it I loved going to school period loved it but I was, my tastes were very diverse. So I was very, you know, extracurricular activities were a big deal, like playing sports. I loved, um, I used to compete in athletics for my borough. So I was loving that, but then I would also love the academia and then I'd love the arts. So to be honest, it wasn't until I was about 17 that I picked, um, I picked drama as one of my options, just one of many that I picked. Um, and I loved it. But I was cracking on with all the other things I was doing. I was really into science, really into science. So um, the drama teacher asked me if I wanted to be in a play that would rehearse at lunch times and after school a few nights, and then it would go on at whatever day she had planned. And I said, "Oh, I've got, I've got a lot of work on, Miss. I've got a lot of work on, um, but I'll, I'll do a small part." And she said, no, I think you should play. It was Antigone. And she said, I think you should play Antigone. And I was like, but that's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> um, so I said yes eventually. Did it. Loved it. And then for my A-levels, took complete art subjects because something just went ping in my head where it's like, I think this is where the pull is now. Yeah. And then from there, you <laughs> went to study performing arts didn't you yes, at Middlesex yes. yes I did what was that like and then when you left you know it, you kind of sound in some ways to have had a similar upbringing in terms of kind of parents who were very fond of academia 
or, or maybe wanted you to, to do well. And I remember, um, you know, even I wanted to become a, a writer and my parents, you know, said to me, okay, but they, they uh, moved to the UK and they were like, you know, again, these opportunities that come up and they said, just, you know, maybe do English, study English, and then you can see where that leads. And you've always got that kind of academic background. And same for you going to university and studying performing arts. So, were your parents kind of supportive when you said to them eventually that this was the career you wanted? And then how did you go about kind of breaking into the industry? Because from an outside perspective, it always feels like one of those things that is so hard to get into. And also you mm. have to know how to do it, like how to mm. get an agent, where to find auditions. Well, do you know, when I, because I went to a, um, a convent girls school and I remember when the time came for the UCAS applications and to applying on for further education. And I said to the careers advisor, I think I want to do acting. And I just remember her face, but like blank. She was like, okay. And I said, how do I do that? Where mm. do I go? She was like, um, I have no idea. Uh, so she was like, maybe, you know, go to university and do a degree in acting. So I had no idea that drama schools even existed. I didn't know that there was a quote-unquote right path to take. I don't believe there is now. Mm -hmm. um, then I was suddenly thinking, oh, my God, have I got loads of ground to make up? No. Everyone's journey is their own journey. I absolutely yeah. do not believe you've got to do it the same way as anybody else at all. And my mum, no, my mum was always like, whatever you want to do, if you have a passion for it, I will support you. That was it. That was the, they, were the, they were the only parameters. It was, as long as you're expressing a passion for something, I am here for you. And I remember, so then when I sort of decided, well, it's going to be acting then, I'll tell you something, I wouldn't be able to have sustained that journey and to be able to be where I am today if it hadn't been for my family, because you need an infrastructure. You yeah. need to have a support network there of people who, like my sister paid all my bills for me, my mum, you know, there was always a meal. There was always the laundry being done. My brother at the time, when I decided I wanted to go to it, he must have been, I can't do maths, he's um, nine years younger than me. So he couldn't have been more than 14, maybe 13. And he's, <laughs> now I think about it and laugh. And I mean, he was born about 35 years old. He was always an older son Aww. and older than his years. You know, those, those kids yeah. that have been here about 55 times before. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so he sat on the, he used to sit on the edge of my bed and I'd just be like, flopped on there like I'd just been dropped I had just been dropped probably I hadn't you know it was hard at the beginning and he'd be like what's wrong and I'd say I've just I didn't get the job man I thought that was mine I thought that was going to change my life and he'd be like talk me through it what's why do you feel it's just oh. this is the one what what about the next? anyway it would go on like that and he'd make me laugh and then I'd carry on and they'd all be there cheerleading me cheerleading me on and there's there's some there's an amazing feeling when you quote unquote make it whatever that means mm. to anybody what your definition of that is for me it was when could I sustain myself completely off my craft I was so grateful to my people and that you know their support was um they could sort of feel validated in that because there was extended members of the family and maybe our friendship circles that are a little bit like oh, we think that's a good idea she's going to be it's, it's hard it's a hard game it, it mm. maybe it's not it's going to happen and I just felt like I was so Ha more happier for them almost than myself that they were vindicated in that support of me 
I was yeah. very grateful. <laughs> when you did get one of your first roles, which was on a revival of Crossroads, which lots of people will now be aware of because of Russell T. Davis's Nolly, that's just come out. Yeah. But what was it like kind of being on set for the first time? And how did it feel watching yourself back? I can imagine that's just like a really exciting moment, kind of landing your first job. God, yeah, it is just, well, they say, don't they, the most exciting moment for an actor is getting the call saying you've got the job because everything after then is hard work <laughs> um but you uh it's just so exciting and um after I finished uni I didn't have an agent so I ended up um bumping into an old friend from the course who asked me if I'd heard of co-op cooperative agencies which I hadn't and that's basically where a bunch of actors all rep- get together and form an agency and represent each other and so I joined theirs and it was an, the most informative three years because I didn't you know as I say, those three years at university, it was me sort of starting. Mm. I didn't have any industry information or knowledge or how to act on camera. I didn't know. Yeah. So I, um, when I finished, I didn't feel ready to go into the world. So he sort of came and said, do you want to join our co-op? And, you know, it's a good place to learn. And it was invaluable. I, I did. I understood who did what, where, with who, when, you know, you really get the lay of the land. And then I booked Crossroads through that agency. Oh, so it was incredible. You know, we all rotate the the days we go in the office and cold call the industry. And someone called me up and said, I've got you an audition for this Colton show. And, you know, you've got to go to so-and-so and do the, the audition. And then when I got it, I mean, my mum and, you know, my dad remembered Crossroads, right? So they were all, they understood what that was. And it was all exciting for everybody. But it was my training ground, 100%. Mm. I can look back on scenes and this is why I kind of think it's important. For me, it's important. It's not for every actor. And you will talk to different actors who say, oh my God, I can't watch myself on TV or I don't like watching playback. You know, you can get the opportunity on set sometimes to watch your scene back in the moment. And actors like, no, 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 I can't. I wouldn't even dream of it. It's going to throw me through a loop. Whereas I kind of feel like, imagine you're painting a picture, but you're painting it like, up close like this you can't really see the whole image you have to stand back and review it and then go back in and stand back and review it that's how I feel anyway so I watch everything I do I will ask my family to watch it and be deadly honest with me I remember in the early days in Crossroads because I have quite a loud speaking voice I was talking very loudly (laughs) like really projecting (laughs) really projecting they were like prima the mic (laughs) it's right here (laughs) So I was like, oh, so if I talk like this, can you still hear me? Um, all of the terminology, all of the technique, really, really great. But it was a safe, safe environment, I think, for me to learn and to ask questions and mm. to grow. Because I feel like to say I'm just learning, which we all still are to this day, seems like a dirty phrase. But yeah. I, I'm just like, I'm not going to pretend I'm going to go to any job knowing exactly what I'm talking about. Because I don't. And I don't know, you know, I'm learning all the time. And I think that's okay to say. Yeah. I saw when I was kind of looking through your your career history <laughs> um, that you've been nominated for that role for Best Newcomer <laughs> and then also Sexiest Female at the 2003 <laughs> British Soap Awards. And I tell you, I don't know if I'm just from like a completely different generation, but I saw that and I was like, that feels so inappropriate. <laughs> and now I remember watching the British Soap Awards as a kid and I remember that being a thing and being like oh, wow, if I was an actress, I'd love to be nominated for that. And then you now think about it, you think, no, 
that's how much the industry has changed. Because I looked and I think they got rid of it in 2015. I was like, even that. So true. That I don't even... But I guess at the time, if it feels so normalised to constantly be viewed in a lens that is somewhat sexualized, and for there to be so much pressure on physicality, which I'm not saying doesn't exist anymore. I think it's probably still there. I think we look at it in a different way or we look at it through a different angle. But I could not believe that that had been an actual award. I know. It's so funny, isn't it? It is so interesting that you say that because, and this is why when people ask me as well, do you think the industry has changed? Do you think there's been pro- this progress that's been made when I get asked that? And I've been doing this now for, for 25 years. <laughs> and if I think back, there have been some massive changes. Like, you know, for that's one example where you go things that 10, 15 years ago were just the way they were, we wouldn't even be able to entertain right now. But I still think there's a ways to go. I mm. think um, that the the dialogue that we're all having now, as you say, it's not that things aren't in existence, it's that we are, there seems to be more of a, um, an ability to shine a light on things and, and yeah. throw throw windows and doors open and blast cobwebs out of corners and you can kind of, you know. Yeah. And I have to say, you said something just earlier about you try and stay off social media as much as you can. I mean, my my OGs, my OG followers out there, um, I don't even like that term, followers, sorry, but um, so people who support the work that we do, mm. they know me, what I'm like, and uh, it's not something that, that comes very naturally to me either. It hasn't been, you know, it wasn't something that was part of my life, but then that's got nothing to do with it because I know people that are my age and older who have taken to it completely. Yeah. But it's not something that I've actually been able to um, to necessarily get into the swing of for a multitude of reasons. But one of the things I do think it's so positive for is like what you just said, we are able to have more conversations about things now. And I think that when, you know, it's great for information sharing, it's great for if people are doing it in a very respectful, empathetic way, having discussion yeah, and talking about things, yeah. And sharing their own experiences in, in a community where people can support you, where you don't feel alone because instantly that person can say, actually, I also feel like that, or that's also happened to me, or I know where you're coming from, or even if you don't understand, I'm sorry, you're feeling that way, or that's so great that you're feeling that way. Yeah. Whichever. It's funny you say that because... Something that I was going to ask, obviously, from my childhood TV, what I remember you as, or like my one of my first TV memories, so I was a really big Doctor Who fan, and obviously you were Martha. And I wondered, that show, by the nature of it, must have kind of catapulted you into fame basically overnight when that's announced. And looking back on that now, knowing what, what you do about the industry, knowing about fame and having, having been in doing this for a long time, is there anything that you would do differently? And do you think that you were prepared for that level of kind of attention? I, so grow, growing up, I was, I did remember Doctor Who, certainly. But then Sylvester McCoy was my doctor and then it went off air for many, 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 many years. So it wasn't that it was part of my formative years, but of course you'd have to be living under a rock to not know what it was. So then when it came back, I remember the big fanfare about that and I watched it then with my family and we thoroughly enjoyed it. And then when I got the opportunity to audition, it was only for one episode 
initially. And so I was kicking my height about that because I definitely wanted to be involved with that in any capacity. So we were all very excited. And then I remember my agent sent me two different characters to audition for. And I was like, well, which one am I going for? And she said, they want you to read for both of them. So I went in, read for both of them, and then she got a call saying they're actually getting rid of one of the characters there and that's not going to make it into the episode. So it's just up for, this is the character's up for grabs. And she got it. And so I was like, yes. So I went down to Cardiff, shot it, met everybody, talked to everybody, had a really good time. And then I got the call saying they were going to cast the spin-off show and they want me to audition for that. So this is a very long-winded way of saying it was almost like a drip feed into the world. So then I was auditioning for what I thought was Torchwood then to be told at the 11th hour it's actually Doctor Who's the, the, the companion for the new companion for Doctor Who. I think if it had happened in all like a big information drop at the beginning, maybe I wouldn't have been as prepared because nerves can get the better of you and they can you can overthink things and you can say to yourself, this is this going to change my career? Is this yeah. going to change my life? And then by the time you've done all the macro you know what world building you're not actually focusing on the, the what it is that the, the art the creativity at hand so I went there did it and then um when I got it that was a uh, there's moments you never quite forget and I just I can still feel it in my stomach getting that call and um I was actually still working as an usher in the theater um and I ha- I stayed there for five months before it was announced I couldn't say anything for five months. I was like going oh to work. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> being like, does anyone want to go for a drink tonight? I just feel like celebrating every day. Um, <laughs> and then when eventually it got announced, we had a lot of support. They, you know, we were media trained, if you like, and told how to um, just to be ready to expect our lives to change. And I wouldn't have done anything differently. It was magical because... When we were shooting it, it almost felt like we were doing it just in a small, tiny bubble anyway, because it hadn't, you know, it doesn't air till a year later or whatever. So I'm, I remember really enjoying it. I think being present is important, always, mm. isn't it? And I just remember, I kept saying to myself, I'm here. And I'd look at the TARDIS yeah. and be like, I'm in the TARDIS. I'm I'm standing here on the set of Doctor Who. And I just kept saying it. So that you just, you know, you live in that moment. And then when it came out and the it goes, it's all manageable. But I think I was a bit older as well. I was like 26. So it, I can see how these things can, if you're very, very young and you don't have the support and the foundations in place, I can see how you could be sucked away with um, the momentum of, of lifestyle changing. Yeah. But it, it, I, 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 I enjoyed it. I read recently that you said that, and that I was looking back through old interviews and kind of preparation. And I was really surprised because, I mean... I watched you as Martha. That's all I knew you as. And I'd seen, um, I'd started with the Doctor as Christopher Eccleston and then it had been David Tennant. And then I lost interest with Matt Smith and I was just a bit too old, I think. You know, (laughs) it is what it is. But I wondered, you know, you'd spoken out about how you were surprised at the amount of backlash, basically, that you had received for being the first black main companion Mm -hmm. and I think now with Shooty taking over the lead role do you think that the show has always been at the forefront in terms of pioneering and shaping the way things should be done in the British drama scene oof that's a big one um I think with any product 
the only way to make any kind of sustained and meaningful change in representation in the industry is by having authentic representation behind the camera, having the producers, having voices in the writer's room that reflect the many facets and places of society, because then your portrayals are going to be authentic. Mm-hmm. And I think in the case of Doctor Who with Russell, he and, and in the casting with um, Andy Pryor, they are very intelligent, aware, self-aware, socially aware, politically aware human beings. And they are able to shape that show to reflect the people and I think the the issues and the topics and the things that are going to be relevant and to resonate with as many people as you possibly can. Yeah. Um, and I, I do absolutely think that they do continue to pioneer that and to, to stand on vanguards. And I have all the respect in the world for them and for that. So yeah, it is, it's, it's interesting to me why it doesn't happen more in more places and in more cases, because it's only going to strengthen your product. If you're appealing yeah. to more people and more people are going to be seeing themselves on screen, then you're going to have more eyeballs on your product. And that's going to create you more, that's more money for you. This ain't social justice. Like be smart yeah. even about it. Be smart yeah. business people and just be inclusive because you're going to get richer product for it. Yeah. And so after Doctor Who, the next thing that I personally saw and was like, wow, okay, this is like such a game changer to land this kind of role because it, I guess, just made you really successful, quote unquote, in in America as well, was New Amsterdam. So signing on to a show like that just must be insane. What's the difference in terms of kind of working in America versus in England? Yes and no. Initially, everything just seems bigger. There's more bodies. There's more of everything from the food down to the equipment, (laughs) down to the locations, down to, it's just more, 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 more. Everything is big, 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 and, and, and plentiful. So that initially took me by surprise. I, I remember thinking, um, yeah, that the, these the, I could feel there was a difference in um, in the size of it, but ultimately, a set is a set, and that's what I find a lot of comfort in, actually, because it's such a nomadic business. You can find yourself in Atlanta today, and I don't know, yeah. you know, wherever else in Scotland tomorrow, or up the road down near where you live, you're always bouncing around. And I think the the thing that we can rely on is that there's going to be that sense of community when you get there, because there is a shorthand, there is a sort of way of life. We are a traveling community of people. And so you can, I get reassurance from that, knowing that I'm going to feel like I'm at a home away from home. And ultimately, it doesn't matter if you have a, you know, one tin of biscuits or um, a whole chef coming in for you that day is, you know, you're there to do the same job. You're there to tell a story. Yeah. And something that you said, and I think we should come back to talk about that for your new show that's coming out on Sky, which is Dreamland. And I thought it was so interesting watching. I've been lucky enough to watch the first few episodes. And what I found so interesting, and it's the same thing that you're saying about putting your hand in your pocket and giving money to stories that I think have been neglected for a long time or left in the peripheries. This story is very much about, so it's about four sisters in Margate 
and the kind of dynamics and interrelationships. And it's also a comedy. But I think after shows like I May Destroy You and Fleabag, commissioners have finally realised that stories about women and for women in some senses are important and deserve a place. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in this one, to have like multi-generational stories going on and interactions is gold, I think. Yeah. The demographic that that's going to hit is so wide. And all of the, the I think the characters and the storylines and the relationships are ex- incredibly relatable. And we had an all-female writer's room. And obviously there was... um you know, look, it is, we're not saying, I'm not saying that all women's experiences are the same, you know, we're all completely different, come from different places and walks of life, but there's going to be commonality. Um, and mm. so the, having our voices in the room is going to, is vital. And I think um, it, this is just such a beautifully well-observed, um, well-written piece that's so full of drama and so yeah. funny, because again, they're able to hit those nuances of like, of life, that the difficulty and the absurdity of life, and therefore we can find it funny because we can relate to it. Yeah. I think it for me, what really made me laugh, it it caught me off guard quite a few times because you'd be kind of in a in a bit more of a tender or poignant moment, and then something really slapstick happens. <laughs> right. Like someone gets <laughs> pooed on by a bird. <laughs> but it so takes you from these extremes in such a beautiful way. But I also thought, and maybe you can just expand on it, it's a really gorgeous exploration of sisterhood, but also of female identity. And what I really like is the way that they kind of mirror that by also talking about motherhood, which I thought was really interesting and looking at the different perspectives of motherhood and about fertility as well. Yeah, I mean... Absolutely. Motherhood, sisterhood, womanhood. um, There's so much discussion um, around that. And I love that it's 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 female-centric in that way because it is so character-driven and these are brilliant character studies. But I also love that they do address so many other important issues and themes as well. They are looking at social mobility and classism and racism and and re- regeneration versus gentrification. And we're going there. They're going there. And I just think Merman, uh, they're consistent in delivering authentic stories, I think, and, and discussion points for us to... Obviously, you know, in, in half an hour, six half an hour episodes, you can't delve into all of them in detail, but I love the way that they raise these issues, not in a sort of reductive way, in a way that we can then pick up any of those and run with them further hopefully in more future seasons to come or people can be further in those conversations when they switch the telly off in amongst themselves in their rooms. Yeah, it's well, I mean, even just a, a small point, and I do, this isn't a spoiler, but there's a moment where your character, Trish, goes to the hospital and she says, she's in A&E, and she says, you know, I'm not being taken seriously. And she explains that actually as a woman of colour, this, this actually is a, an issue within the healthcare system that often women of colour aren't treated in the same way and, and list some statistics. Yeah. And that those statistics are real. Yeah. So it's it's like, yes, it's this kind of absurdly funny, a little bit slapstick comedy with these really poignant moments. And, and how do you think that fluctuation between genres, you know, do you think that's testament to the writing? Do you think that's testament to the 
to the acting or do you think it's just the whole thing coming together? It's like alchemy. It mm. is, but primarily that's the caliber of the writing team and that's Merman. And it's been, it's a strong team top to bottom. And, you know, we were invited into the writer's room to even talk about our perspective on what we were reading and what we were receiving. They're just so open and collaborative and I think they've got their finger on the pulse and I think they're writing in a way that is intelligent and it's you know it is that but as I say it's we had a fantastic director we've got a fantastic cast you know we've got Clelia Mountford and and Sharon Horgan and there are just so many uh, brilliant professionals that are involved and I think that the, the product is um I mean, we had a, f- a fantastic time making it as well. All, yeah. this, all the heaviness we're talking about right now, I have to say, we had a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun to make. There was a lot of laughter and a lot of banter. But then that's what I mean in that kind of openness and that inclusive way that you work. It just means that everyone's voices are being heard and you can, and you know, it, there was a lot of mindful building that went into the character of Trish. And, you know, there has to be, as I said, those authentic voices coming f- from way within the rights room for it to stand up in front of the camera. And I think that that they've achieved that. And when you play as the sisters, does that kind of translate off screen? Was there kind of a closeness or a bond there that's created when you're acting, you know, so so intimately? Absolutely. Um, and we also had, um, we were spoiled with uh, having rehearsal. We had two weeks rehearsal time, which is very, very rare, um, which meant that we could work like we were in, a, like we were in a workshop and we could, go for lunches together and uh and go for dinners and um and you know just play yeah we are I think I I take my job and my career very very seriously obviously I'm not here to waste time and I I want to I consider myself professional but having said all of that we're playing we we tell stories and we are playing other people for a living and so i like to remind myself of the levity that that can be in that as well and the enjoyment that has to come from it as well yeah. and so we were able to just be in that in a in a free space where we could laugh and play and explore and it being comedy as well there's people coming from that background are so good at just being off the cuff and improvising and being quick-witted. And I I was dazzled because I need a script. Um, But I was learning and watching and enjoying. So, yeah, I feel very, very fortunate to have not worked in this country for so long, Mm. at home for so long, and then to come back and be part of this. I'm absolutely... um, overjoyed yeah well it's a gorgeous program thank you so much Freema that has been a gorgeous <laughs> chat thank you thank you so much for having me um and yes we will speak hopefully again yes <laughs> series two <laughs> series two I know you said it <laughs> thank you for listening to the Radio Times podcast we hope you enjoyed the show if there's a guest you'd love to hear us interview a programme you've heard us talk about that has marked your life or any other thoughts you'd like to share, please do write in to podcast at radiotimes.com. Please also remember to rate, review and subscribe. <laughs>